I'm E. I'm Ron. What's up? It's Kip. All right, Kip's on. We're going to use the <laughs> Hit a point where the air so thin in the sky, niggas can't breathe. I'm a bathe in the light. I done made a few tweets that you can't see. Free to win like I lost, beating off my demons, nigga, pause. Hate to be lost in the cause, lost in the sweet baby. Rusty 380, shooter, keep aiming, score, be traded. That's the equation, fading my flame, I make a wish, baby. Extra bitch out forever, erase them. Sip my tea, peace from ketamine state. We're blessed to see ages over 1818 for propane, one fit for that drink. The wisdom I crave can never be wasted. Ancestral vibe, the recipe ancient. Rest in peace, item, rest of me vacant. Ego must die, the soul came off with a bitch. Fetching grow by talking to him. Broken soul like an orphan that in my thoughts. We go that I'm fostering in. Soft when he spoke in the cut, I won't kill him. But it's best that you know that he far from a bitch. I've been trying to go, man. Some moose and had a solo cut for my change, y'all. Bite the bullet like I'm Daffy Duck. But when the game was crooked, I was playing ball. Apocalyptic when the prophet mentioned, I will bomb the building, won't save y'all. And I'll take it farther than Moses. Overdose, boy, prognosis, my trademark. I'm brave hard. That slave talk don't resonate. Best to let it fall like a feather in a sense. Killer when it penetrate. Let it settle in. Bet you end up dead from the neck up when it detonates. Real path, flight, scribble, scrabble, chicken scratch. I had to set the record straight. Count the seconds till we elevate. Prosthetic feelings, I should medicate. Might hit the ceiling when I feel enraged. My vision bigger, didn't fit the cage. Hit the vibe with venom, I resuscitate. Should I get the blicky, you'll go like the sage. Like a mile a minute, mental on you, saying. Nigga, mind sprinting, I'm in better shape. I can spit an inch and probably hit it. Welcome to the next moment, folks. Kip, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time this evening. Thanks for having me. So there's lots that we want to talk to you about. First, we we thought we could dig into the new album, which is called Triple Six Eight Nine Boulevard Prequel. So this is your newest project. Um, it's it's a very vulnerable one. So you you're really bearing your soul from one track to the next. And and hearing you talk about the album, it seems like some of this territory might be new. So when you spoke to Rolling Stone about the album, you said about this project, all of this stuff is really personal. A lot of this outside of a song, I would only divulge to probably two or three people in my life. When I was starting the album, I knew I wanted to go somewhere. I ain't never been musically. How did you determine that you were successful in accomplishing this? I don't know. Uh, I, I honestly always be thinking like after I hear a finished product that I could go like deeper. Or mm-hmm. say more, but like, I guess I, what's the, the most shocking is, and this has never happened when listen, like playing my music for somebody else, or like playing for musical people, where somebody actually like stopped the song or stopped the album, and be like, "Yo, are you okay?" <laughs> like, <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? And that's, and of course, I'm not, just, I'm not doing. It's not like a cry for help or nothing like that. But it's just like that. Just let me know I'm tapping into something like like deeper so like i guess after listening through and just like because i don't a lot of times i don't really pay attention to what i be saying until i hear it back then i'm like oh, wow like, <laughs> you took it there but yeah i can't i can't call it because i always feel like i can go deeper for it mm, mm. so it's more so about the feedback that you receive from other folks mm-hmm. might be why this is uh, the first in a, in a series right i mean you're gonna have a chance to get deeper i guess but you've described the album as about sort of finally becoming the best version of yourself and i just thought the process that you undertook to record it was pretty interesting basically locking yourself in the studio at times like freestyling most lyrics uh so it would be raw and organic i just wonder what led you to undergo this process now like at this point in your life and career 
Um, so when I was recording on I uh one of the intro the intro to the album, it was like a real it was like real, real deep and you know, all that kind of stuff and, and super personal. And I was by myself when I recorded it and I started crying when I was performing it. Mm. Like if you like and I I keep telling people like if you listen to it, if you listen to the song, you can like hear me like crying or choking up when I'm performing it. So that kind of led me to believe that I could really only, you know, express myself the way I want to if I'm like alone, for real, like if I'm just by myself. Because hmm. if I'm if it's a studio full of people, I'm not about to let myself just like start crying and performing something, or I'm not about to make a certain face, or you know what I'm saying? It's just like let's cook in the kitchen for real, and it's just it, it just makes me a little bit more comfortable. So as Rob mentioned, you freestyled some of this project and i think i read it was about 65 percent of your verses is that right yeah okay this might be a very basic question but could you walk us through like the process of doing that like what did it look like to freestyle these verses and how did you balance that out with the content that was previously written so like sometimes like if i know i'm going freestyle or i know like a song calls for it i'll only write a couple like you know a couple lines here and there you know what i'm saying just in case i just get caught up while i'm freestyling mm -hmm. so like if i'm free if i'm like freestyling and i do like 10 bars or something like that and i'm just stuck on like up 10 through 12 then i look at something i wrote to kind of just you know what i'm saying like give me that kickstart i need to you know like for when i hit a wall basically yeah so like most of the writing came after you know what I'm saying? Like all the uh, like, I would start out freestyling, and then I'll run out of shit to say, and then I'll start writing. But like, you know what I'm saying? And then just when I'm just like writing, just to write, like just to stay loose for real. Like I'll just keep verses on deck just in case I, you know what I'm saying? In case I get stuck, and I yeah. to, like kind of call back or tap into that. Got it. Okay. I, I was thinking about that and and what it would look like for an album like this considering its content and i can imagine that you know not writing a verse prior to recording could really allow for your thoughts and your words to be totally unfiltered like a free-flowing testament of your life and experiences and at the same time i can see where this would also allow for darkness pain and past traumas to creep in at a faster pace because you're completely letting go and you're not exercising restraint when you were creating this project were there moments when you had to take a breather because things got too heavy and second part of, of what I want to ask is, do you think that part of making this album was so you could force yourself to deal with the hard stuff head on? Definitely. Because there was never a time where I needed to, like, to stop and, like, gather myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, because, like I said, I don't really realize how, how open I am until after I listen back to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it may be, like, it may have been, like, one or two times where I, like, like, if you hear in the song, if you listen close enough, if you hear in the song, you'll hear, like, in any, any song on the album, you'll hear me going, like, dark, 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 and then out of nowhere, it might brighten up a little bit. That's me realizing, like, okay, <laughs> dial it back just a little bit, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if I realize, sometimes I realize that in the moment, and just, like, you know what I'm saying? But it's never really too heavy, for real, because it's really nothing I wouldn't say on a song. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like the the whole the freestyling and being open and stuff. A lot of the times it's just me mumbling words, like mumbling sounds or flows until and then words just pop up. Like you know what I'm saying? Like until like, you can kind of 
hear a word in that or hear the line in that. Yeah. So whatever comes out just comes out, and it's all is always how I'm feeling at the time. So mm-hmm. that's 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 usually how that goes for real. Yeah. The Bandcamp description of the album was really interesting to me. It sounds like you have viewed the process of becoming the best version of yourself as the process of integrating various aspects of other people in your life and the impact they've had on you, uh, bringing that into one like sort of cohesive self. And one of the reasons I, I, I find that interesting is just because I think a lot of people might say or want to say that they are self-made. I just saw a quote from Black Thought recently saying that his self is like a communally built self and that we're never self-made. And this seems to be like what you're saying uh, with the sort of the theme, I don't know if that's what you would call it, on this project, that you are essentially the sum of all the attributes of all the people that have had an impact on your life. And that just, much like the rest of the album, like just strikes me as incredibly honest. Like how could you deny the impact that those around us have had on our development? Like... It started. It started happening with me, like, cause you know how when you just be around somebody for long enough, they kind of start to rub off on you. Mm-hmm. Like, I I be realizing that in real time. Like my homie, um, Trav, who was one of the people who are you know big up in the album. Like he like real quick with it. You know what I'm saying? Like super sharp wit. Like you say something to him, boom, he he got something for you, right? You know what I'm saying? And one time I was talking to somebody. <laughs> And I said, like, he said something to me, and then I came back so quick. And everybody was like, damn, what the fuck what was that? <laughs> and then I, like, immediately after that, I just called him. I was like, wow, I texted him, and I was like, bro, you are really rubbing off on me. But somebody just said, ooh, to me, and I just snapped, like, right back. <laughs> like, so it's more so me just realizing that, like, like I said in real time, just how people affect me and how people rubbing off on me. And just me realizing, like, why I enjoy being around certain people or what they add to my life. You know what I'm saying? You know, you're supposed to assess people in your life. I feel like you're supposed to always do that. You're supposed to always look at people and be like, all right, what you got going on? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, what do, what do we add to each other's lives? Or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's just something I just always believe. Because I don't, I don't believe in doing outside of recording the whole album by myself. <laughs> I don't really believe that you can do anything by yourself for real. Hmm. It, all, it, it, it takes a tribe no matter what. Yeah. It's also pretty clear that, at least to me, and I don't know if this was intentional, but I imagine that it is, that this project has also tried to like bring together some of your musical uh, influences. Like There are some pretty subtle nods to bone thugs on this project you know you got the these are the days of my life line on the track lakeshore 18 the hard way starts with the same sample used at the beginning of thuggish ruggish bone on petrichor which is a word i'd never heard before so thank you for expanding my vocabulary um <laughs> you sing a line from most deaths umi says there's a sample on pacifist prayer that will be familiar to anyone who's ever listened to fresh prince so it's not just people in your personal life that you seem to be attempting to like integrate throughout the album. It's some of the musical influence as well. I mean, even the fact that you've freestyled so much on this album seems like it could be a nod to like Eminem and eight mile, which I know was influential on you. I mean, like, it's just like somebody I was interviewing with, some, uh, I did an interview with somebody and they was, cause they, they caught the, uh, only says the most death nod. And I swear, in that moment, I realized, I'm like, damn, I do, I take a lot from, I take a lot from most of that. 
Like, and then almost immediately after I realized that, I realized that he was one of my favorite rappers. Mm. So that's just, that's just really important to me. And, and I, I, I want to say I do it on purpose, but a lot of times, you know what I'm saying? Like when I was doing recording, uh, when I was working on Fetch Hardcore, that's all I was listening to mm. was when he says, and most definitely like California and stuff like that. So that is, it's kind of just like, like live updates for like, this is what I'm listening to. This is what I'm on right now. And just putting it, putting all of that stuff in the song. Yeah. And it sounds like sometimes that happens consciously. And sometimes it's just an accident, a happy accident. Yeah. Cause I don't never go into a song thinking like, all right, I'm about to do this. Cause of, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. just always, it's just like right there on the spot. Triple six, eight, nine has no other bars featured on it outside of your own. And when I was thinking about that, I imagine that part of the reasoning behind that might be because this is such a personal album. I'm wondering why this also didn't apply to the production contributed on the album, because some of it is self-produced, but you also collaborated with several other producers. So what led to that decision? And was it difficult for you to put your trust in others when you were coming from such a vulnerable place? Mm -hmm. No, because I was just... Like when I would lock myself in the studio, I would just go and just search for beats, search and search and search and search for beats. And I just knew that I didn't want to produce most of it. Or like, I, I didn't I didn't really want to, like the two songs that I did produce on there was just kind of that was, you know, I was just working on something and it, you know, it just worked. But I told myself before I started on it that I wasn't about to do more of the production. One, because if I'm going to do all of this by myself, I can't produce it too. Like I can't, because then it's just going, you know, it's just going to get too, I, it'll get repetitive after a while. Mm -hmm. And I also just didn't want to lose, lose my like ability to collaborate. You know what I'm saying? Or like my ability to just trust somebody to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. basically if I had told myself that I was going to produce all or a majority of the album, I would still be working on it right now. <laughs> I'll probably be like halfway done right now, and it all and, and it took two years. It took two years for this, so if I, mm. you know, yeah, it would be, be bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can. Yeah. I feel that. I want to ask about. Uh, I think we want to ask about a couple of the tracks on the album. I'll start with "Pacifist Prayer." First part of this song, you're coming in from this like Zen-like place, like attempting to protect your peace, but then pretty quickly. You're like, fuck that. And the beat switches, your flow changes, and now you're just going off, like engaging in the conflict. And then the beat changes again, and you just sort of sound defeated. And you're like referring to yourself as a pain junkie, declaring that nothing really hurts anymore. And the track ends with you saying, to love is to suffer. And I, I was like, whew, there's a lot going on in that track. But I want to talk about the beat switches. I'm, I'm curious about the decision to like switch it up as you're rhyming from these different emotional states. So, okay. One, one thing is every single project that I've done has a three part song somewhere. Like, except for, pro except for probably Fago baby, but everything I've done, even the stuff that got scrubbed off the internet, like older stuff, it's always been a song that has like three different parts. Mm -hmm. So that was just continuing that tradition or you know that trend but more importantly that song was supposed to be like a nervous breakdown mm. it was supposed to be like an actual nervous you know a nervous breakdown 
like the best way I could describe it, and I always, I never can find the word, but it's, you know, that fight, flight, freeze, or it's another one like fan or fawn or something yeah. like that. Fawn, yeah. yeah. So if, if those, the, those three parts of the song represent mm. those three, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, uh, except it's just not in order. So it's like the freeze is in the beginning where it's just kind of like, you know, like real soft and mellow and, you know, non-confrontational, just real easy going. And then, then it picks up to, you know, like fight. And then at the end, it's like you said, it's kind of just like defeated, like, <laughs> you know, it is, it is basically just walking through like a, a whole nervous breakdown. Mm. And that's why the, that's why the, uh, that's why I found a beat that was like that. Cause like when I started, when I was scrolling through, like, and listening to beats i heard that particular beat and i listened all the way through and i'm like damn like here like this is my opportunity to get another three-part song and what what better way to do it because I, I knew that i wanted to make a song about a nervous breakdown like that was that was, passive prayer was supposed to be like the climax of this crisis mm. so so the beat uh, it was produced by midas right mm -hmm. i think that's right so the beat was already like split up like that. It was already in three parts. It's not like that happened to fit the song. It was just like that. Mm -hmm. Perfect. It's great. That's how a lot of the beats was. I just want, like I said, I just wanted to trust somebody. If I got too anal about stuff, cause I could have made changes to any of the beats and stuff like that, but I just didn't want to do that. Plus I didn't want nobody to hear they beat and be like, Oh, you changed this or you took this out. Like, you know what I'm saying? And him in particular, cause I'm just like a huge fan of him. So when I sent it, cause like he was one of the, one of few people that when I finished the song and purchased the beat and all that kind of stuff, I sent it to him and he's like, we've been chopping it up ever since. Nice. Ambigram Theory, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing Ambigram right, is a track that really struck a chord with me. From my bed, water bottle from two days ago to the head. Type of day when even your mama get left on red. Deer caught in the headlights, practically half dead. I tend to spiral when I'm left on idle. That fight or flight mode got niggas feeling right at home. Fast food bag, same show on repeat. Just a bid for control, we battle uncertainty. The shadow work you don't see when you challenge your own beliefs. I stay present, gay presence, pour my soul over beats. Twice upon a time, there was a boy who cried suicide. Silly me believing that your problem wasn't mine. Back and forth with you, you like my best friend. Okay, nigga. You like my best friend. I wanna kill you sometimes, I'm at my wit's end. You're not my best friend, you're not my best friend. I could be wrong, but it feels like this song can be interpreted in a couple different ways. So on one hand, you could be addressing the content that's on this track to to someone else, to a third party, but also it sounds like some of this conversation is one that you're having with yourself, especially, you know, around being your own worst enemy and being your biggest critic because it impacts your ability to live freely at the beginning of the second verse you rhyme and god forbid you let me just be happy for once some peace of mind may be asking too much and considering the way i'm hearing the song those bars just feel so real to me and having that conversation with ourselves i feel like so many of us do if if any of this rings true for you on the days that you feel stuck in this way. What motivates you to keep going and keep creating your art? It's just, for me, it's just, I know that there are people that feel like this. 
You know what I'm saying? It's people that don't know how to vocalize how they feel about stuff. And sometimes they need to, like, hear a song to know that you, like, essentially that you're not alone. I don't, I don't know a cooler way to say that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. you're not alone. Yeah. And you're right. You're right uh, about your, with your assessment of the song. It was, like, internal, like, uh, like an internal thing. Because Passive Prayer was this meltdown where I'm, like, projecting all my feelings on people, like, and basically feeling rejected. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so all of this stuff that I'm feeling and whoever, whoever I'm expressing this to obviously doesn't care that I feel this way. And because uh, Ambigram Theory is, like, a, basically a part two to Passive Prayer. Those two, those two songs are our story. Okay. So it's like, uh, Passive Prayer is where I project all my feelings on this person. And then Ambigram Theory, it kind of continues. And then I realize that I'm projecting this. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because like an ambigram is a word that spells another word upside down. Like I say in the uh, end of the song, the shape of weed, the shape of me, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm laying in front of this mirror upside down and I'm looking at it, you know what I'm saying? I'm looking at it like if I'm laying upside down and I'm frowning, then right side up is a smile. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm like basically I'm doing this to myself. Like, so just. Mm. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, in- another interesting thing is, like, anytime you hear a screw voice on the album, like a pitch down voice on the album, that's me saying, like, what's actually going on. Hmm. Like, you just take take the whole song away. Like, whatever's going on in the song, the screw voice is me saying what act- what's actually happening. Hmm. So, in the um, beginning of the first, like, the, the, I mean, in the first hook, I'm like, basically corroborating all this stuff that I'm saying. Like, it is somebody else, somebody making me feel like this, like, making me yeah. feel shitty. And in the second verse, I say, from where we sit, we damn near the same nigga. So it's like me basically, like, realizing that I'm the one putting myself through mm-hmm. all of this. Yeah. And yeah. I purposely, and I purposely, um, I purposely chose to say, like, my best friend, my best friend, my best friend, just because, like, I wanted people close to me to, like, feel that. I yeah. wanted them to go through that like emotional roller coaster. Like, is he talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> Keep them guessing. Yeah, and then all, all, all for me at the end to be like, no, I'm talking about myself. Yeah, I, I love the way that you executed that because I, that's exactly how I interpreted it. Like initially, I was like, he's talking about somebody, but then when you got to the second verse, I was like, he's talking to himself. Like this conversation is one that he's having with himself. That's what it felt like to me. So I really liked the way that you did that. Thank you. Thank you. The second track on the album is called Lakeshore. It starts with a voice recording from uh, from a friend who's talking about how every day we're sent these messages that try to tell us that we're not enough or that what we have is not enough. And I just related to that so much. The song seems to be about how you have pursued a certain kind of like, I don't know, stardom or fame or recognition and how that has sort of shifted to a focus on maybe meeting your own like creative needs. But even when I know that like that all the messages being sent to me that say that I don't have enough are a trap, it still feels like a daily struggle to ignore them and it's exhausting. And I'm just wondering like, do you find yourself continuing to struggle with the allure of like fame or greater quote unquote success, whatever that might be? Um, no, cause I, I view success differently now. In the beginning it was about you know, making a whole bunch of money and 
being this big star and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it kind of changed for me in recent years where it's like, I don't really, sure, somebody want to dump some money in my lap, by all means, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the real goal is to be able to, like, create at my fullest capability. Money would help that, and resources and fame and all that kind of stuff would help that. But ultimately, that's the end goal is to just create to my fullest capability. And, like, to uh, address the, you know, people like all this projection and how people try to make you feel lesser than, I think it's good. I think that's good. Mm. Because, like, envy and stuff, envy kind of keeps us going, for real. Like, if, if I don't want what the next person has, then what's my motivation to really to do anything? Like, if I don't hear somebody, if I don't hear a verse that's better than anything I ever wrote, then what's my motivation to get better? You know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I look, I kind of try to flip it because in the, the intro before Lakeshore is where I'm talking about all these people that I look up to and that I idolize. And then Lakeshore is like, oh, jealous, you're jealous. But like, that's not really bad because I don't, I don't wish ill will on nobody. You know what I'm saying? All the stuff that I like about people, I don't want them to stop doing that or I don't want them to stop flourishing. I just want it for myself. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I just feel like, jealousy or an envy when it's not malicious is a good thing continuing with lake shore on the opening verse you say no i've been looked at sideways looked down on and looked over and please correct me if i'm getting any of these lyrics wrong what you mean still in all just never felt seen as the first verse continues it seems like you're referencing your career your craft and how you've been overlooked but I also sense that maybe you're examining your life in general and reflecting back on moments where you felt misunderstood or underappreciated. Is that true? And I'm wondering if part of you thinks being so open on this album happened is because you wanted people to know who Kip Stone is, is both the rapper and the person outside of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all, you know, it's all we did, you know, because, like, I got a thing where if I'm talking about, like, if I'm talking about anything musically, I'm not going, like, I'm not going too far into that because I just feel like it kind of kills the replay value. So if I don't mm -hmm. spin it, if I don't spin it to, like, kind of make it universal or make it, like, personal, then, you know what I'm saying? Because then I'm just, uh, I'm just basically just a disgruntled rapper at that point. Like, <laughs> Mm -hmm. And and I do not want to be viewed like that for real life. So that kind of ties into the beginning of like, you know, the, the, when my uh, y'all and my homegirl yelling at me, well, not yelling at me, but telling me about all the jealousy and stuff like that, like yeah. tying all of that in together. But like also being like, hey, I'm overlooked as a rapper too. Like, mm. Towards the end of the track, the sun is medicine. You say. Uh, again, correct correct me if I get this wrong, but you say, I can't live my life and never know. Longest shit was cool inside my comfort zone. Why am I running back to what I know, even when it hurts inside? Junkie for habitual. Very relatable lyrics. So go outside more, you know, that's healthy for you. Uh, the sun is medicine. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of incredible, though, how quickly, like, I forget that I need to go outside and, like, try new things. How would you say the habitual like stifles growth for you? Because my like my comfort zone is me being by myself. Mm. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, don't get me wrong, I do enjoy being by myself. I love being by myself. Like, I've been by myself all day. I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I love it. But it's a difference when I'm, like, retreating or, like, trying to get away from stuff or when I just feel like just chilling by myself. Yeah. So, like, I feel like, uh, and the, the line after that with the pattern of the psychopath, how you feel on what you do, always sing a different tune, who am I to listen to? Like, you know how they say the uh, the uh, psychopath is uh, doing the same thing and expecting different results. So, like, the fact that I keep sub subjecting myself to this, like, isolation and stuff like that and thinking it's going to help me is fucking crazy. <laughs> like, mm. it's not helping me at all. Like yeah. running from running from you know running from stuff and like uh, that's 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 not good for nobody. Yeah, cognitive cognitive dissonance. Basically, that's basically what it is. Just, you know, I know this isn't good for me, but I keep doing it just because it's like it's the habit of it. Right. I really appreciate that. You know, really, really relatable. In an interview that uh, you did with Rolling Stone, you mentioned that the next installment in this Boulevard series. You want to record with a live band. Is that still a plan? Yes. 1,000%. <laughs> I just got to find the people. Yeah, I was going to say, I think in the in the interview you said you had a drummer maybe, but you still needed the rest of the band to fill out. Yep. Okay. The drummer is, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but <laughs> <laughs> until until I figure it out. But I, I, if he hears this, he going to know. Yeah. He going to know I'm talking about him. But so far, we got a drummer. That's it. We okay. got a drummer and a rapper. Okay. All right. It sounds very interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Yeah. That's going to be like a, just a really special moment. Mm. I wanted to take a minute and, and go back to the beginning just to kind of touch on your origins a little bit. So I think I read this in the Rolling Stone interview that Rob is talking about. Um, and as I understand it, your passion for writing led you to emceeing. So over the years, you had developed these original stories that feature a character you named the Cleveland hero. Cleverland hero. Cleverland here. Cleverland, my bad, my bad. And so in making these character making this character and these short stories, I feel like you could have went in another direction where concerns of the craft you chose to pursue. So I'm wondering what helped solidify this is the decision you made to create art in the form of rap. Because all of those stories and stuff that I mentioned in that uh, in that uh, interview were they, they were stories, but they were also songs. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was these was like songs that I wrote that had stories in them. Yeah. So it kind of it kind of never really it never really shifted. Although I do I did uh, I will say that at one point in time I did want to like make a cartoon or like make a some kind of some kind of you know like that but um it was it was it was an easy transition for real or not it was not even a transition it was easy to like even if you look at what's going on now with like the prequel and this is a prequel to an album and stuff like that and it's all telling it's all the same stuff it's just hmm. it's just not the clever land hero or any of the other characters that i made up for it yeah yeah okay so that they still intertwined anyway and so you're able to i guess kind of marry both passions and essentially like the story of like the the original story of like the Cousin Line Hero is actually happening right now. Like this is all stuff that I was writing about mm. that I'm kind of doing right now. Mm. So I see. Okay. Yeah. Turn it up. 
SV. Raise it up. 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 What me, dog? I don't floss, no nope, ain't that nigga JD, uh-uh. You ain't never seen me ballin' out at the bar, right? I don't rock my ice and bounce for when cars and my rover ain't the hardest rover you've ever seen. That ain't the TV screen, it ain't sitting on 18s, dog. I ain't gaining no green in my chain, don't swing, uh. I ain't doing my thing, I ain't doing a thing. I ain't got none of that dough with none of them cars. I ain't fuck none of them hoes and none of them bars. I don't smoke weed, I ain't used to mess with the streets, I ain't from the D. Nah, I wasn't blessed with the beast, I don't be at the spot swinging my Chain like this, swinging my thing to these motherfuckers bang my shit. I don't sit low, I ain't never pop Chris. This rollie just don't look right sitting on my wrist, huh? Uh-uh. What me? Dip the shine down, sip a shine down shit. You find some? I don't hold heat. No, I ain't never caught a case. I don't know what Titus is chase. I ain't as tight as they say. I don't ball out with my click and all. But I do show niggas how to spit this ball. Flow make the hoes just put the dick to jaw. SV, biatch, fuck the what? So every episode, we spend the second half of the episode talking about an album that is chosen by our guest. It's a favorite um, or a classic as defined by them. Tonight, we're talking about Fantastic Volume 2 by Slum Village. So Kip, why do we land here? Why are we talking about this album this evening? Because, and, and, and I actually kind of recently discovered this album, hmm. but like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and just say this. <laughs> Originally, I did, I wasn't a huge Dilla fan. Mm. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what, but then one day I was telling somebody, like we were talking about it, and I was like, yeah, I'm not really crazy about Dilla. And he was like, what? You know he made this, you know he made this, you know he made this, you know this song, you know blah, blah, blah. And like Neo Soul, like Neo Soul wouldn't exist without him and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, damn. So then I kind of went back and like double back and listened to him. I'm like, damn, like now he one of my favorite producers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in in my like digging for Dilla and Dilla-esque things, I kind of discovered this album. And I man, I, I, I couldn't cut it off for like two weeks. Mm. Mm. I'm curious what you heard prior to really getting into Dilla that you were like, no, this isn't that. I don't get it. Uh, donuts. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Which okay. Is, which is the one that everyone loves. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. A, man, I I used to get killed for that, and I. But nah, I bet you like, did. I was, <laughs> I was never trying to like shit on. I was never like, oh, he's shitty or nothing like that. It was right. just like I don't understand it. Hmm. Um, now I rather enjoy donuts. I don't. I don't know what happened. I guess you know how it's yeah. like when you get older, your taste buds change or your taste just for sure. So, yeah, I think it was just my time. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I also think you need to hear things more than once to really appreciate them. You got to come back. Yeah. And you got to be older. Like, I was young. I was young. Not too. Yeah. So, like, when I got older and just kind of started to find music and find other stuff that I was like, I kind of circled back to Billy. Like, damn. It's also, like, I kind of forget, honestly. Like, sometimes after listening to other stuff, I'll come back to something Dilla did. And be like, oh, that's what a that's what a, like a brilliantly produced song sounds like. Uh, yeah. you, you know, when I sat down to listen to this uh, to prepare tonight, like the first track, Conant Garden, I was like, damn, that is just like a perfectly produced song. It is 
Fantastic. It's man. <laughs> that I just love because that that shit. One, it's just that that soul. That's like some Midwest shit. Where are y'all from? We're Philly. From Philly. Philly. So y'all get it. It's like kind of like a where well, it's Philly. That's like East Coast. Yeah. It's close enough, but <laughs> that whole like just the whole like that Detroit scene and all that kind of stuff. Like that's just always gonna resonate with anybody yeah. from the Midwest. Mm. But that's just our bad career. Like if you look, if you listen to. Everybody got their own sound. Every like region got their own sound, and that's just like the Midwest. Hmm. And a nutshell, for it. Hmm. we we just super soulful, and you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So that's that's what spoke to me the most. Hmm. I would say the same about Philly. Yeah, yeah, Philadelphia soul. You know, as far as this album goes, Fantastic Volume Two. What is the MC in you attracted to on this album? Like, what what stands out to you as far as like rapping goes? I, I'm so glad you asked me that because <laughs> like the the dopest thing about it is and this isn't to take away from like any of they like writing or anything but for the most part it takes me back to like a time where I mean making music is still fun to me but takes me back to when I had the most fun making music mm. and that mm. was when everybody was just in a dusty basement just rapping you know what I'm saying we might we might have a couple of drinks. People might be somebody might be smoking something, whatever's going on, and we just vibing out. It just sounds like everybody just kind of got together and got geeked and just started rapping. Yeah, you know, it sounds like it sounds like like somebody just like recorded a cipher or something like that. Mm-hmm. I love it in the way they play off each other and the fact that they just don't take each other. They don't take themselves so seriously. Yeah, like. You know, they're not on there like trying to rap, like grab your nuts and show people how good they can rap. They just kind of just having fun with it. You know what I'm saying? Even like in some of the voices that they be doing and some of the concepts of the song, like uh, CB4 and stuff, where it's like fellatio, interference, promiscuous, homosexual. Yeah. Like that shit is funny. Yeah. And the skit, like the Lou Raw skit, like it's just, yeah. I love it. I just love, I love when rappers don't take themselves like so super serious. I had this on, um, before hopping on to record and I was like playing it downstairs in my living room and I was just like damn you can really dance to every single song on there and I think it, it's certainly Dilla's production but also like I think it's what you you spoke to the energy on here it just feels like a house party really like everyone's just kind of like there create music like maybe in a cypher it just feels really free that way yeah, like even like in some of the features that they picked, like because I, I forget where I heard this, but like they said, like at uh, where Dilla used to make his beats and stuff like that, like people would just come chill. Like somebody you would come me over and common to be sitting on the couch. Yeah, or like, yeah. But like Buster Rhymes would be like walking out as you coming in type shit. Like, and that's how all of the features sound. All of the features mm-hmm. sound like somebody came downstairs mm-hmm. or came into the room. Was like, what's this? All right, I'm about to throw a verse on it. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I love it. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a really somewhat unique like vibe or feeling to like the whole project. I love it, man. As a producer, I mean, you talked a little bit about finding your way to Dilla, but I'm wondering as a producer, what is it that stands out to you on this album? It's always the bass lines. Mm. It's always the bass lines and the samples. I love when I hear in a song, whether it be rapping wise or production wise, when I hear something that's just like, I could never do that. Mm. I like, I could, I could sit up and try to do that. I could try to 
re- replicate it or do it, but I can I can never do that. Mm. That's why, like, even in my album, it's just like you can hear like songs like Lakeshore, like Impassable's Prayer, songs like that, where it's just like calling back to that because that's around the time like when I started working on that album, I was just like, this is the kind of music I want to make. Like, I want to tap into this because I just feel it more than anything. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the, I think the bass lines. Um on this album like really carry the songs like more than other i don't more than like most rap songs that i that i know it and i think it's something about it that like it's almost like a band like an actual band like the bass so frequently like carries a band that happens on this album it's pretty pretty unique yeah Yeah, you hear it and it's just like you know who that is like yeah you like you hear like uh, the climax bass, the climax bass line, or the uh, uh, untitled bass line, and it's just like you know, you just know. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I love it, man. I love it when somebody just got that thing where it's just like you hear it and you know, like you hear certain drums and you know it's Timbaland, or you hear yeah. certain uh, instrumentation. Oh, that's for real. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I love that. It's like I, a yeah. signature, it's like kind of having a signature for real. I think yeah. Dilla's drums are like that too. Like, I think his yeah. drums have a unique sound also. Yeah. Yeah. Because they like clean and dirty at the same time. Mm. Yeah. It, he was just a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. There's um there's a lot of different contributions made on this album. I mean, you got verses from Q-Tip, Busta Rhymes on here, P-Rock, Corrupt, Common. I think the only track that was produced by someone else besides Dilla was by D'Angelo. I'm wondering if if hearing from all those different people in all those different ways is what a, is is part of what appeals to you about this project. Yeah, and and because uh, you mentioned Q, you said Q-Tip, like he said, kind of said in the song, like because it, you know, I'm a huge Tribe fan, so like they were the vibey swing, you know what I'm saying, just like the vibey kind of dudes. And yeah. He kind of even said in the song like he was kind of passing the torch. Mm. you know passing the torch to them yeah like it was I, I i couldn't quote the exact line but i just remember him saying it in the song like y'all got next type shit mm, and i just yeah. love that because you know what i'm saying it's just like you hear that and anybody that's a fan of q-tip that he might not be you know saying he might not be putting out as much or whatever but it's just nice to know that it's like the vibes are in good hands basically like <laughs> yeah i love that it fits like the association fits definitely yeah it's it's they it's like this it's just like the evolution for real it's just like yeah they took it and they turned it into what it is now yeah i mean it also helps that dilla worked on beats rhymes in life you know so it's like almost this seamless movement from tribe to what slum village was doing yeah so, like pass, just passing the baton for real yeah i don't know if this is true because who knows if what's fucking true on wikipedia but they made this album in 98 apparently it didn't come out because there was issues with the record label they had to get shit together so in the meantime dilla did all this work for all this all these other people then it came out in 2000 i think yeah yeah so i'm almost like maybe that was supposed to happen like because by that time like you were talking about passing the torch it really made sense then Mm -hmm. like that was like when neo soul was budding and all that kind of stuff like yeah definitely like I don't like if this would have came out originally in 98, I don't know. It it seemed like it might not have fit in then just yet. I don't know. 
It, honestly, if it came out in '98, we might view it a little bit differently. That's what I mean. Yeah. But I think I think low key in a good way though, because then you know then it gets lumped in with the '90s and just the the uh, admiration people have for the '90s. Mm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That the fact that it came out in 2000 might might have hurt it more than it helped it. Honestly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Well, I mean, I imagine. The fact that it came out in 2000 just meant there were more people listening, right? Because, like, at that point, yeah, he had a name, like, that, that's yeah, that that people might not have like known as much. It, it, it helped with the with like the flow, like the I guess the flow of music. Because, like I said, like the neo, the whole when neo soul became a thing, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? That was like, I'm terrible with years, but I'm that was like early 2000, yeah. So it yeah. kind of was, it was kind of seamless for real. Yeah. And he's got, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the same players on this album, like D'Angelo and Common. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny how it worked out that way. Yeah. Definitely. I do wonder how it would have been received if it came out in 98, though. That's what I'm, I'm really curious about. I mean, obviously, we'll never know, but I just feel like it wouldn't have been the same. And not necessarily, not that it wouldn't have been gotten been well received but i don't know if it would have been better than it would have been in 2000 yeah i can't call it the only thing that i think of is like what it could have like the sort of doors that it could have opened for like slum village specifically like for t3 mm-hmm. and Batin, like you know they kind of got screwed honestly the the fact that this album got shelved had to wait yeah. around for so long for them to sort of get their shot I, I don't think worked in their favor. So it, it, it to me, it's interesting to think about like what those guys could have done if the album had come out in 98. Mm, yeah. yeah. Because what happens if it just exploded onto the scene? It was like, this is the biggest shit ever. Like this is the coldest album that we all, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And that Then that would have been the industry standard for a while. Mm-hmm. And this music would have just changed. Mm-hmm. If that was like, if that was like at the top of the top, as far mm-hmm. as like albums and stuff like that, then that would have definitely changed. Uh, that would have changed how music sounded for real, like because that just yeah. that kind of just naturally happens. Like in music, whoever's at the top, people kind of try to emulate or not not copy, but like you know what I'm saying. You want to make yeah. something on, on par with like what's the tightest shit at the time, right? Yeah. So if that would have happened at the end of '98, I mean, if that would have happened at the end of the '90s, it's just oh, it's interesting to think like what would have happened, mm-hmm. how music would sound. I'm just thinking about 98 specifically and the, and the shit that was out then. Like, I'm thinking about, like, how it was. It was really all about New York. Mm-hmm. Like, like, Pun and X and Noriega. And I'm wondering if this would have been, like, with all of that in the mix, because those those folks were huge then. Like, and not that they weren't in 2000, but I feel like the noise died down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so it made a little bit more room for some village in that way. And it ushered in a new era. So like, I'm thinking about that too. Like, would this have really been well received because of, of the other people that were sort of like getting a spotlight shown on them at that time? Yeah. Cause I mean, you gotta think too, like uh black on both sides came out in like 99. Yep. That yep. was 99. So that was, that would have been, that would have been a year after that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then uh train the thought, by reflection eternal came out in 2000 mm-hmm. so I, it's just yeah it's just interesting to think I about mean, the one difference though but between those albums and 
what should have happened in 98 is that they were signed to A&M Records. Like, they were signed to a major label. Yeah. Um, uh, who knows what kind of, like, push that gives them. Versus the, the albums that you're talking about, like, Raucous, like, you know, they're leading the underground or, like, independent scene. So, yeah, I mean, who knows what would have happened. But it's interesting to think about. It's yeah. definitely fun to speculate because high tech is kind of in that ilk of producers. You know what I'm saying? Like if you really listen to his his production, so then Train mm-hmm. of Thought comes out, and you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it just kind of it just kind of reinforces that sound for real. Yeah. So I, I don't know. This is all yeah. hypothetical, of course, but sure. Yeah. It just feels like this happened for a reason. I don't know. It feels like it. It just. It, I'm sure it was shitty. For everybody involved, but yes. I feel like yeah, I mean, and I, that album yeah, because that album was like kind of advanced for real. So for it, so for it to yeah, have dropped it for it to have dropped in two thousand. That's why I say it kind of it might have helped. I mean, hurt more than it helped. Yeah, because that was a pretty advanced album for real. Like so, yeah, just, yeah, hmm. yeah. If you read um, Dilla Time, the the book. Um, mm-hmm. It does sound like it was pretty shitty for T3 and Batu in particular. Yeah. These guys are like waiting for their turn and it took much longer than it needed to. Yeah. Yeah. And and Dilla was doing other stuff. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, That's tragic. Still was received well. I mean, we talked about it in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still like it, it does not sound aged at all to me. No, at all. Because Fall in Love, that's probably one of my favorite songs ever. One, two, two, two. Like it's a hole. hole. Put down your mic, you lost your whole world. You take it too seriously, like it's a gamble. Hole. Fuck this rap shit, I listen to classical. Hole. In the studio, loop as usual. Love it, love my lyrical. For bitches that you would know. No. I'm out of this, cause you wanna be below. Y'all niggas in love with the S. Oh. Y'all niggas in love with the S. Love. I love that song. Like, <laughs> I admit. Yeah, that's there, true. there are some great. Tracks yeah, there's some on bangers the on here. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Kip, what do you think about uh, Dilla as a rapper? I think he was raw. I think it was fire. a lot of producers. A lot of producers that kind of was rapping and then kind of fell back from it. That was hard. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he, th- there are times when um, I don't know how to say this because uh, I don't want to be too harsh. But there are times when it's kind of like he's he's kind of just like bland, like nothing special. But then there are other times when he like, like changes his voice. Like he sounds slightly different and he sounds more like nimble somehow mm-hmm. that I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, this is good. I like this. I love when producers rap. And, but I mean, in his case, it might've been bad. Cause if he would have went full fledged rapper, then that mean he would, a lot of people wouldn't have got a lot of beats. 
<laughs> you know True. Saying? Like, True. A, lot of, a lot of stuff that he made, he might not have gave up. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I uh, I also just think Batin is so smooth, man. He just glides all over these tracks. It was nice to be reminded of that, like listening to it this week. Uh, of those three guys, like, do you have a favorite? Is there one that like stands out to you? T three, Batin, and T three. T three. Yeah. What, how come? Like, what makes you say that? It's just he's just like it's just effortless. Mm. Mm. At least to me, that's what it sounds. Like. He just effortlessly like I don't know. And he just like. I don't, he just had like a really commanding presence on on songs. Like mm. I don't I, I hate to pick favorites out of uh groups, but if I if I had to pick, because I, I don't I wouldn't even say like he's my favorite, but if I had to pick, yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm ma- mm-hmm. I'm making you do it, so it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's if I had to pick. And fa- favorite might not even be the right word. Just to like, you know, like I said, the one that like sticks out to you. T3, I think, sometimes has a presence that the other two guys don't necessarily have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts. Well, fantastic. Mm. I wish I would have did a Dilla Deep Dive way earlier in my life. Mm. And I wish I would have, so I, and I wish I would have discovered, I wish I could have listened to this album the way I was supposed to in the time where, you know what I'm saying? Like even back in 2000. Even yeah. when it came out, you know what I'm saying? Because I was listening to a lot of stuff that was on par with that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like I was listening to Train of Thought. I was listening to Black on Both Sides. I was listening to all this kind of stuff, but they just kind of, I guess, slipped the radar. So I really, I, I wish I would have discovered it earlier. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I have felt that a little bit because I was, I was de- definitely late on the Della train. Like I found out that he did shit I liked like way later and yeah. and then I dove in yeah so I feel that a little bit yeah I mean I would say the same thing I feel I feel guilty <laughs> I, I appreciate you you know your courage and in, in admitting that you did not really feel Dilla at first I mean I think that takes some courage yeah. so I appreciate your honesty about that yeah, because if you would have started quizzing me on shit, then, I, you know what I'm saying? If I would have just came and faked the fun, and you would have been like, so how you feel about this? And I would just wouldn't have had an answer for you. I can't do that. <laughs> I'll just say, yeah. um, you know, I know Dilla Time is a thing now because of the book, which I love, by the way. It's a great book. Um, but, I mean, it's so true. The, the timing on this album is just so interesting. The example that coming that's coming to my mind is on Untitled there are these moments where he stops the beat, but it's so brief and it almost sounds like a mistake. Mm. Like the first time I remember hearing it and the first time I heard it, I was like, well, did, did, did something skip? Like, what was that? They, they also at times on this record, and I think they do it at other times, you know, in other places, um, like make an echo of themselves. Like they repeat themselves in a way that sort of makes it sound like an echo. It's a little off and I just love it. I love the time, the timing on this album. Cause like, don't quote me on this, but is it true? Or maybe you, either one of you know, like, I don't think Dilla like quantized his beats. Right. So that that's a whole nother. That just give the and, and to me that just give the beat like a different kind of motion for real. Like, yeah, yeah. Where every, everything isn't so like precise and pristine. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of that's the kind of shit that I like. It's, yeah. it's it's like a live band. It's like you said. It's like having a band because mm-hmm. it, 
you know, timing isn't perfect if when you got a band behind you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and, and for it to be as clean as it is, is even a testament to how good he was. Cause like, it's not, it's never a moment where like anything sounds offbeat. Right. But it's just like, I don't know. He just finds a different pocket. Yep. That's yeah. Just, man. Yeah. I really appreciate your interpretation of that and, and you naming it because it made me like I'm looking at this album in a different way than I was before. Like, I just imagine, like, it just feels like something that, uh, like, of the past that we took for granted, just, like, getting together, throwing a house party, putting on jams, jamming out together, and just enjoying music. Like, that's the vibe that I'm getting, especially after you name that. So, yes, in the, in the live band piece, like, it's it's all of those things, like, which makes the album that, that much more special. Mm-hmm. I love it. It feel like a, it just feel like a cipher. It feel like yeah. a cipher, but like with people that's actually good at rapping. It's like if we was if we was all at a party and we was just all cold at rapping, and yeah, like we just all started rapping and we kind of just all realized in the moment, like damn you you hard, like you are <laughs> you hard. That we should make an album together. That would that's definitely like, not happen if I was at the party. I can tell you <laughs> that. Or like yeah, literally just like having a jam session, just like having an organic jam session, being right. somewhere where people got instruments, like somebody's spinning and just like having fun and enjoying music. Like, I love it. I love picturing it. Even like the kind of, even the songs that's conceptual, it sounds like, hey, what if we did a song like this? All yeah. Right, sure, let's do it. Like, that's what if it does. It just feels so organic. Yeah. Yeah. Kip, this has been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for picking this album. And thank you so much for joining us this evening. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank y'all for having me. Yeah. The new album is called 6689 Boulevard Prequel. Folks need to check it out if they've not already. Kip, is there anything that you want people to know about, you know, upcoming projects, you know, where they can find you maybe on social media, anything you got going on? Uh, Petrarch War video is out now. Mm-hmm. It actually just dropped today. <laughs> so yeah <laughs> okay. all right so check that more, out more more stuff on the yeah list. add it to your list yeah. yeah beautiful well thanks again kip this is beautiful mm-hmm. folks this has been the next movement thanks again to kip stone for joining us and thank you for listening peace, peace.